Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to a post-fight episode of Showtime Boxing as we reflect on an evening of Boxiana at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada this last Saturday night. As Manny Pacquiao outpointed a recalcitrant Adrian Bronner to retain a welterweight strap on a lights-out evening in Las Vegas. And, and I mean, it was literally, at least for a couple of seconds, <laughs> a lights-out evening in Las Vegas. Uh, the power blipping out during the co-main event and then coming back on in stages Ring lights first, the in arena screen second, but there was continued panic ringside as it took a little while for Wi-Fi to be reestablished. And you can oh, imagine, God. you can imagine the anxiety that was rippling <laughs> through, the, through the press corps. <laughs> yes, boxing writers do not do well with a lack of Wi-Fi. Yeah, indeed. But uh, all in all, it was a it was a lengthy evening in Las Vegas, Eric. Yeah, it was, and there, there's lots of fights to discuss uh, from uh, that the show in Vegas, really from from the whole weekend uh, on this uh, podcast. Uh, but the real main event is still ongoing. Uh, Kieran Mulvaney versus Winter Storm Harper. Uh, <laughs> Harper has taken the early rounds uh, yeah. as, as we record this. Uh, I am safely. Stop the fight. <laughs> or did you say stop the fight or stop the flight? Well, yeah, indeed, good point. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm I'm back home in in the Philadelphia area uh, where we've been getting mostly rain uh, or what they might call a wintry mix uh, at best. But uh, where Kieran lives in the wilds of Vermont, it's been a legit snowstorm. So as of now, uh, Harper has Mulvaney pinned in the corner that is Las Vegas. Uh, you're stranded for an extra day or so, uh, and there isn't even a free media room buffet there for you anymore. No. So thoughts and prayers going out to you, my friend. Uh, let, let me know if you need me to start a GoFundMe or something. Thoughts and prayers. Hashtag. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> I'm stuck in Las Vegas for a day and a half. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I realize that people are mostly not going to feel sorry for you. But once you've already been, first of all, exactly. once you're someone who goes to Las Vegas fairly regularly. But yes. on top of that, once you've already been in Vegas for a few days, I don't, they're not really bonus days at the end. No, and, and as you and I were discussing during fight week, I have, I have so many times I've been in Las Vegas. I am a, oh, I'm on the property now. I'm staying on the property until I leave Las Vegas. Yep. I'm not a, oh, I'll wander down and see if there are tickets to the Lady Gaga show. I'm, <laughs> I'm just debating whether to go to Delights in Tower 2 or Starbucks in Tower 1, and that's right. as exciting as it gets for me. But <laughs> such right. is life. Yep. Woe is me, indeed. Yeah. But <laughs> first world problems. On. Very much first world problems. Um, so let us get on with the business at hand. Uh, there were, of course, four fights on the Showtime pay-per-view telecast on Saturday in the opener. By the way, Hugo Ruiz pretty much had his way with late replacement Alberto Guevara over 10 rounds. Uh, in bantamweight action, Nordin Ubali remained undefeated and added to the maxim that professional boxing rematches of Olympic amateur encounters generally turn out to be repeats of the original results, as he outpointed Rasheed Warren. Uh, in the co-main, Marcus Brown attacked a listless Badu Jack from the off. It was a frequently sloppy and dirty fight. It wasn't a great surprise when the two men clashed, clashed heads, although the results of that clash was exceptionally grim uh, in the end. Brown uh, maintaining his undefeated record and uh, overturning Jack. Uh, and then, of course, in the main event, Manny Pacquiao buzzed and flicked around Adrian Broner and wound up with a unanimous decision victory. His 61st win, Eric, in 70 outings as a professional. Yep. All right. So, so let's get this subject out of the way. Uh, then we can relax and talk about the, the fight. Uh, but let, let's lead with this. Pacquiao told Jim Gray afterward that he's up for a rematch with Floyd Mayweather, but it's up to Floyd. Floyd was at ringside. Gray asked him to nod yes or nod no, and Mayweather didn't respond. So what's your interpretation? Does the fact that he didn't say no tell you it's going to happen, or did the fact that he didn't say yes tell you it isn't? No, I think... His demeanor, as always with all things Floyd, was calculated to be as non-committal as possible and to ensure that he remains at the center of the tension for as long as possible. Yeah. Um, uh, he gets to string it out a little bit while he has a think about what he wants to do. Um, my guess is he's mulling it over. He's turning the options in his mind. Leonard Ellaby was remarkably unequivocal afterward um, in the media center. He said, look, Floyd's retired. He's 42. Enough's enough. It's just not going to happen. Um and I think that might be true. We discussed this a little bit um, earlier, uh, a week or so ago. And look, Floyd had a 
fun earning a ton of money in those one-offs against McGregor and Tension, two guys who really never had a chance to beat him. But as we've discussed before, fighting another professional boxer, even a somewhat diminished one, after not having fought a professional boxer for what will be by the time it happens, if it does happen, four years, at age 42, even for an athletic freak like Mayweather, is a different matter. Um, So he may change his mind. He may make the calculation that it's worth it. But I don't know. He's going to go away, and he's going to be... It was. I, I suspect that he was going to wait and see the fight and see how Pacquiao looked and factor that into his equation. Um, and he'll go away and he'll mull it over and he'll do a risk-reward assessment in his head. Um, he is 50-0 and 0 with bajillions of dollars stuffed under his mattresses. Um, right. He might just feel that, you know, at some point it does have to stop. Uh, why do I have to do this? He needs me more than I need him. And plus, the more he strings it out, the more people are still talking about him. Yes. So um, it must be noted that at one point prior to their first encounter, I said on one of our podcasts that the chances of them meeting were zero. I can't remember <laughs> at one at what point. Do you remember that? I, I do, <laughs> yes. And so anything I say on this should be taken with an enormous bag of salt frankly but um at the moment i have a feeling it might not happen okay uh well then uh, it's time to uh, sound the sirens because we have uh, one of those uh, disagreements uh, <laughs> that that we'd have only every so often here um but it's one of those disagreements where neither of us i think seems to have great conviction but it's just you're leaning toward more likely that it doesn't happen i'm leaning slightly toward uh, the the other direction that it does happen. I will say, as just as far as the fact that Floyd indicated neither yes nor no at ringside, he likes to do his negotiating behind the scenes. Uh, yep. You know, if if there has been some talk, but certainly no deal yet, uh, I would imagine he's not going to give up leverage by saying publicly that he wants right. it. He'll let he'll let Manny beg a little more. Um, but yeah, my gut tells me that it is going to happen, um, and that's you know not based on inside sources or anything. Uh, maybe that's just based on uh, you know waiting waiting to hear your answer and knowing you're uh, always 100% wrong when it comes to Manny and Floyd fights <laughs> happening, and uh, that's the way to go. Um, but uh, we we know that Floyd in his mind isn't quite 100% fully retired because he just fought somebody a few weeks ago, even if it wasn't a professional boxer. Uh, we know he loves the spotlight. We know he loves money. We know he believes he'll beat Pacquiao 100 times out of 100. So I'm somewhere slightly above 50% that it will happen. Um, and I'm already starting to think a little bit about when. Uh, you know, Canelo and Jacobs already grabbed May 4th. Uh, there are other big fights already positioned for other potential spring dates. My guess is that if this happens, they might claim the big traditional September pay-per-view weekend early and we get a long build right uh, which has the extra advantage of taking it away from Canelo right of course exactly that while Canelo is still preparing for a May fight maybe this fight gets signed in March or April and they stake an early claim to Saturday September 14th uh, so uh yeah whether whether it's a fight you want to see or not I'm kind of leaning toward after what we saw Saturday night mm. thinking it's going to happen all right, so let, that's enough about that. Let's get to the Pacquiao-Broner fight. Um, but let's continue to go kind of out of order here and start at the end of the fight. Uh, the judges had it 117-111 and 116-112 twice. Showtime Steve Farhood had it 118-110. I don't personally know of anyone who thought it was closer than 116-112 for Pacquiao, yet Broner claimed he was robbed. Uh, so I'm curious, Kieran, how did you have it? And do you really think that Broner actually thought he won? So I had it 117-111, but I don't know that there was any round that I gave Adrian Broner that I thought was a solid, convincing one. Um, right. Interesting, I think two that I gave him, uh, but I think were 8 and 10, were the rounds right after Pacquiao's most dominant rounds. Um, hmm. Like right after he'd hurt uh, Adrian Broner, and then it felt as if Pacquiao sort of needed to reset and catch his breath a little bit. And Bronner went back to just sticking the jab and just moving. And it was I just felt I almost gave him a couple of rounds by default. Like he hadn't done very much, but Manny seemed to be resetting and wasn't doing very much at all. Um, you know, and as for Broner, who knows what he thinks? I mean, I did I did notice there was <clears throat> one, maybe two rounds where he went back to the corner pounding his chest. 
And I thought to myself, he can't really think he's doing a good job here, can he? He can't really think this is what he's doing. I mean, there was a big knot of his fans, not very far at all from where I was sitting. And even they were growing like fully in despair. They were just basically screaming, just throw a punch. Yeah. Um, and they wanted everything that he, he threw to, to be effective. And I, I just don't know with Adrian Broner. I, I just, in some respects, ironically, he didn't have a bad idea. Use the jab to keep Pacquiao at bay and on the back foot and try to land some, some, some right-hand counters as he came in. But he just didn't do it properly. The execution just wasn't good enough. He sort of, he had a Floyd playbook, but he's not Floyd. And you've got to throw punches. I, I just, I, I just can't quite wrap my head around Adrian Broner at times. And I, and I, I don't know. Maybe he felt he had to convince himself that he thought he'd won as his way of dealing with what was happening in there. Hmm. I just don't know. But there's no, there's no way Adrian Bronner won that fight. And right. I, I can't even see how anyone related to Adrian Bronner could think he won that fight. I, I really don't. No. Yeah. I, I had the exact same score as Steve Farhood with the exact same two rounds, in fact, the fourth and the tenth uh, for Broner. When we get to the uh, Ubali-Warren fight, uh, which was much tougher to score, it was a a case of Steve and I ended up in the same place, but I had about half the rounds reversed from how Steve had them. But this fight, this wasn't hard to score. I I had it 10 to 2, and I... I'd sooner hear a case for 11 to 1 than your case for 9 to 3. There were a couple of rounds where Pacquiao had Broner in trouble, and I thought for a second about going 10-8. On, on those mm-hmm. rounds. Mm-hmm. So if, if anyone got shorted by the judges, it was Pacquiao, not Broner. Um, but Broner marches to his own drumbeat. Uh, his corner seemed to be encouraging him to keep doing what he was doing, uh, which may have helped lead him to believe he was doing just fine. Um, he seemed to me to be convinced of what he was saying after the fight. It didn't feel like an act no. to me. Um, I, I think that he thought because he was doing part of what he set out to do, uh, mm. throw very punch, throw very few punches, which is kind of how he approaches most fights, right. uh, throw a lot of quick counters and stay on his feet for all 12 rounds. I think because he was accomplishing those things, he thought somehow he was winning rounds. I, I kind of believe, and it's dangerous to, for us to sit here and try to psychoanalyze Adrian Broner, but I think he really thought he won, or at least he thought, it was a close fight and that he wasn't going to sound insane screaming robbery, but alas, mm. he kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, so let's grade Manny's performance uh, relative to his recent showings. If the knockout of Matisse is the high and the fight with Jeff Horn is the low, h- how did Manny look to you at f- age 40 and, and any surprises in what we saw him do? <clears throat> um, I don't know that there was much in the term, form of surprises to you to to finally put to death the turn of phrase that um, I've been overly proud of the last week or so. I thought he looked closer to an old Manny than the old Manny. Um, okay. He had hand speed, but the great movement and unpredictability, the angles, the foot movement are gone compared to where what he used to be he, he isn't the force of nature that he once was um you know even when he was reaching broner and, and, and there were only it was only occasionally that that he that he was able to to get into the position where he was actually able to hurt him um the, the old man he would have would have blown this guy away i think um you know and obviously reasonable people can debate all day long as to whether that's a function of being 40, of having had 70 fights or of something else. Um, his upper body movement got worse as the fight went on. His output diminished. Yeah. He's he's a fast-handed fighter with occasional pop and a big name right now. Um, so he's no longer the world beater who you might have thought he would be from watching Lucas Matisse. He's also not the washed in danger of being a gatekeeper guy or club fighter, almost guy that he looked like against Jeff Horn. He's sort of middle to bottom of the welterweight elite now, I think. I think he's a good, decent fighter, doing pretty well at 40 years old. Who, You know, it's funny to walk out of the arena and think, you know, this was a fight between a, a decent guy and a very 
disappointing and perpetually disappointing guy and look at the size of this crowd and the size of this yeah. event it's completely disproportionate to what was on display um but yeah I, he's uh, uh he's he's certainly near the end i think um it was it was a fi- it was a perfectly fine performance he deserved to win had far more than adrian Bronner, but far far less than than he used to that's for sure yeah that that sort of disproportionate element that, that you just spoke about makes me think of a fight like, uh, you know, Roberto Duran fighting Hector Camacho kind of thing, where you've mm. got two big names, and one of them is pretty darn close to the end, uh, and one of them is often disappointing, but their names are, are, are big enough, and they've marketed themselves well enough for long enough that they make an event out of a fight that really is not two top guys by any stretch. Um, for a 40-year-old, Based on what we've traditionally expected all our lives yeah. from 40-year-old fighters, Manny looked amazing. Um, but as Roy Jones pointed out on Thursday on the podcast, the bar for a 40-year-old athlete has been raised. Um, you know, I'm trying to compare this to, you know, try, trying to go with neither the Matisse high nor the horn mm-hmm. low, but uh, with a, a middle ground like the way he fought in the third Tim Bradley fight or the Jesse mm-hmm. Vargas fight. He definitely looked worse than he did in those yeah. fights when he was 37, 38. But it still wasn't what I'd call a massive drop-off. It was noticeable. It was significant. But he still resembles that fighter. Uh, yeah. he, he was definitely lunging in more than ever before. His balance was a little worse than I've typically seen it. Um, I, I, I think he was lucky, or, or maybe just smart, in selecting opponents that Broner doesn't commit to his counter punches fully because Pacquiao did leave himself open lunging in. You know, yep. you you put this Pacquiao against a semi, semi-prime version of Juan Manuel Marquez, and he's yep. getting knocked out nine times out of ten. Um, yep. The left hand is still fast. It's still effective. The one he almost knocked Broner down with in round nine was a beauty. He's excellent for 40, but... I saw nothing to make me think he's a live underdog against a Spencer or a Crawford or, or, even, a, or even a Thurman or a Porter, who I, yeah. I rank them, you know, a, a half notch below Spence and Crawford. I, I don't think he'd be live against any of those guys. No, agreed. Uh, on the flip side, we weren't wondering if Broner would grow old. Uh, we were wondering if he'd go in the other direction and, and finally put it all together. Nope. Uh, (laughs) To the many people we interviewed over the course of the week who said they thought we were going to see a different, more focused Adrian Broner in this fight. Uh, If it's fool me twice, shame on me, then there's a fair amount of shame to be felt because we're up to fool me, fool me about a half dozen times now. (laughs) And, you know, people just I guess they see something that they want to see uh, something, something that wasn't there uh, that maybe never will be there it was the same old ab not throwing enough content to last the distance so you think kieran will everyone now accept that this is who he is a a guy who just doesn't have what it what it takes to win at this level i i would hope so especially because i think even you know the true believers saw this I, i i don't can't imagine anyone as we just discussed buying into the notion that Adrian Bronner won this fight or even came close to it. And especially as it came after him and those who know him, for, like we had on the podcast, Rasheed Warren and others saying, oh, this is a different AB. This time it's, this is it. No, really, this is the time. Right. He's legitimately really trained for this. And he's legitimately really, this. we're really going to see it. And on the biggest stage he's had with the biggest opportunity he's had, he, he just didn't come close. And I think, you know, as we talked about with the preview that had he lost and people had come away thinking, boy, Adrian really, he lost, but boy, he left everything out there that everything would have been forgiven and he might have another chance. That's not what happens. Um, you know, to, to, to have an opportunity and then spend 12 rounds really not even throwing punches. That's the ultimate disappointment. Fans spend a lot of money. They save up for, you know, for a pay-per-view or for an opportunity to go, you know, and support their guy in, in Las Vegas. And they 
don't want to feel ripped off. They don't want to feel that the fighters let them down. Um, if the guy's out there trying his very best and falling short, that's fine. That happens. I mean, all the Brits, when Ricky Hatton got beat by Floyd and by Manny and then right. Polax, they didn't care because they knew the guy had given his all and it just the way it was. But I don't think that Adrian Bronner fans are going to go home thinking the same thing. Look, I mean, the thing is, I mean, I'm always I'm always happy to like mangle Denny Green. Broner is not who we once <laughs> thought he was or who yeah. we thought he might be. Broner is who our eyes have been telling us he actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, he yeah. has these physical gifts. He has legitimate talent. But there's just the package isn't there. And I don't know whether ultimately that just comes down to mental issues and which manifests not only in his behavior or his approach to flat fights, but also, you know, the fact that he blows up in weight so much between fights that he has to spend so much of his camp getting back down to weight that he doesn't even have time to work on some of the other stuff. Um, he is now, I think, I think that not only is he, you know, not the, the, the next big thing, obviously, I think at this stage, he's honestly, he's a decent reward low-risk gatekeeper now yeah. i don't think he's much more than that is he no uh, I, I i would agree with that um i have two things i want to say on this subject one is a technical thing that uh while broner has a dangerous counter left hook uh, and and a good uppercut and we saw him flash those a, a little bit it struck me in this fight that his counter right hand is a waste of time mm. he, he throws it quickly and pulls it back just as quickly and it's basically for show. He doesn't sit down on that punch. Um, in terms of Manny having to worry about getting countered, I think Broner only really gave him one hand to really worry about. Um, so that's my little technical observation about one thing that disappoints me with, with Broner. Uh, my other point, and I'm going to get a little more animated uh, here than I usually do, uh, but can we stop with the Broner has a lot of heart BS? Uh, mm. He has a good chin. Yep. He has good survival <clears throat> instincts. But fighting with heart means fighting to win when the going yep. gets tough. And Broner doesn't do that. When people talk about the heart he showed in the Maidana fight, and he did show some, but they forget about when he tried to dive his way to a disqualification win at <laughs> one point in that fight. Um, and in this fight against Pacquiao, down the stretch, he wasn't trying to win at all. He wasn't trying to adjust and open up and go for it. He threw 295 punches in 12 rounds, according to CompuBox. That's fewer than 25 punches a round. Um, Look, it it takes heart just to get in the ring. I'm not saying Adrian Broner has no heart, but compared to other elite fighters, come on. From the moment he got hurt in round seven, Broner spent the whole back end of that fight trying to hear the final bell. He never went for broke and tried to win. Could you even notice on the broadcast, by the way, that his response after being hurt was to look at the clock. Yes. He was looking at the clock yes. a lot. And the, the, and the, and the broadcasters fight. did make that observation, particularly okay. particularly the first time, I guess there were about 20 seconds left in the seventh round that he was checking the clock uh, to yeah. see how long he had to, had to survive to get out of the round, um, yeah. which strategically... I suppose makes some sense at that point, you know, how, how long do I have to survive here to get, to get it, to get to the bell and, and recoup. But the problem is after that one minute recovery, it's not now I'm going to come out and try to win this fight. It's now I'm going to try to survive five more rounds. Right. And I'm going to keep looking at the clock while I do it. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm curious just for your quick take on the atmosphere in the arena, Kieran, because we talked about how uh, this, the, event the magnitude of it uh, far exceeded what level these fighters are, are actually at um so you know what wh- what was the atmosphere like H- has the buzz for a pacquiao fight declined since his last fight at, at mgm uh, which was the, the third bradley fight well so i think you and i talked about this when you were in vegas i mean i thought during fight week fell a little bit short of prime Pacquiao highs. I thought there wasn't, yeah, there was a line for the way in, but it wasn't snaking out down halfway into the casino as it used to. And it didn't feel as if, you know, there's that full kind of buzz, but fight night was great. It was a really, really good atmosphere. Uh, It was really loud. Uh, It was a massively pro Pacquiao crowd. Um, It's actually been a while since I've been a a Pacquiao fight. I think Bradley three was my last one. And it, my recollection is that it, the crowd was actually, if anything, louder and more lively than that. And I think that's probably also partly because um, the uh, probably because U.S. fans haven't seen him in a while. 
Right. Because it's been a while since he's been in the US. And also, I think that Broner brings more animated fans and even than Tim Bradley does and or did. And even though they were massively outnumbered, uh, they were contributing to the volume too, too pretty well. Uh, so, no, it was actually a really, really good atmosphere. It, it did feel like a good... If you didn't know otherwise, you would think, wow, these have got to be two of the best guys in the world because this atmosphere is great. Okay. Uh, so, no, good fight night atmosphere. Okay. Uh, and you've been to a lot of Pacquiao fights over yeah. the years, uh, probably enough to have lost count, uh, I would think. I'm uh, just curious, what what's your favorite Manny fight atmosphere ever? That's a good question. Um, I would say <clears throat> I remember the second Morales fight was mm. – at that time, was like the loudest I'd ever heard a crowd be. I remember saying that it felt like I just stuck my head in a jet engine. It was so <laughs> loud because Pacquiao was just really gathering steam. And of course, Morales had won that first fight. And, and Morales was still hugely popular then. And it was two, two banks of equally determined and 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 loud fans just trying to outshout each other i thought i thought that atmosphere and what a great fight it was too with a change of momentum there and and then and then you know pacquiao finishing him off i i thought that was terrific and the atmosphere at the final marquez fight was amazing it was it was hard to describe it was a very emotional by the fourth fight every other pacquiao fight just about that i've been to once he really got rolling, he his fans were were dominant. Mm-hmm. But beginning with the third Marquez fight, and even more into the fourth Marquez fight, as Marquez's fans felt increasingly aggrieved, and as Marquez, the way the results were going against them, and as Marquez became more popular, it changed. And I, I actually felt that like the Marquez fans were in the ascendant a little bit in that fight. And so that was that was really interesting and 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 kind of wild and exciting. And then after that, after everyone thought that Manny Pacquiao was dead. Um, the the sort of level of just sheer emotion in the in the arena was not like anything I've quite experienced before. So I would say probably one of one of those two, uh, are the ones that really leap to mind for me. Okay. And uh, before we move on, a quick note to the kids at home: a PSA here: don't stick your head in a jet engine. Do not. Do not. Don't not try for, it. Not even for scientific point of comparison. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not All recommend. Right. <laughs> okay, so uh, looking ahead for Pacquiao, if it's not Mayweather, who makes sense for Manny to fight next? Uh, we've basically stated our opinion about how he matches up with the young elite welters, but do you see him facing one of those guys? See, this is you know this is a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? Because I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. Um, Spence <laughs> smashes him. Mikey Garcia probably beats him. Danny Garcia beats him. And we all know for years I've been banging the Crawford brutalizes him drum. Yes. Talking of Crawford, I think Amir Khan's probably still a tough fight for him. Um, we'll see in a week or so what Keith Thurman has, because he's been out a while, obviously, with various injuries. And we don't know if that's really limited him or not. Um, and Sean Porter's a favorite against him and quite a big one. Maybe that's at least an intriguing style matchup because it'd be exciting because of the way they fight. But I actually don't know what the end game looks like now for Manny. I mean, I understand why he's beating the Floyd Mayweather drum Um, because that could be end game, win or lose a lot of money and probably not get very badly hurt. But some of these guys could really hurt him. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit stumped as to who he could legitimately fight next. Okay. Well, one of the names that you mentioned uh, of guys who blow him out, I'm not necessarily as convinced at you uh, as you are. Uh, the, I think when you get, as you move slowly down the rankings, I, I think the first guy I'd consider him somewhat live against, though though still an underdog, uh, is Danny Garcia. Danny, yeah. That's that's one because uh, he sort of has a bit of that same counter punching style as right. Broner that, that <laughs> yeah. maybe. If Manny can avoid getting getting clipped, he might be able to do some things against Garcia and outwork him and win rounds. I, and, you know, I think it's a decent fight and it's theoretically a makeable fight. But still, is it worth it for him? Is there enough money to risk getting shown the door right. violently by a good young fighter? Um, but, yeah, otherwise, I guess he could look for another name opponent somewhere around Broner's level as a fighter. 
maybe uh, you know a Saddam Ali uh, mm-hmm. who might still be too young and big and fresh, but maybe not. Um, I would have said Amir Khan, but he's busy at the moment. Yep. Uh, you know, then you think of a name like a Devin Alexander, but that could be an ugly style matchup yep. to watch. I don't know if if it's not Mayweather. Um, I guess the one that I could see is is Pacquiao against mm-hmm. Danny Garcia. Maybe Manny Manny continuing this trend he started uh, this past weekend of of getting to be the superhero who takes on the fighters that boxing Twitter loves to hate. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and you know who maybe Pacquiao Garcia could turn out to be a somewhat evenly matched fight. But now uh, you know the more you think about it, the more Mayweather or bust kind of makes sense for me. Yeah. It really does, I think. All right, let's move on to the co-feature. You mentioned the result at the top of the show for a light heavyweight belt. Uh, Marcus Brown dominating a bloody Badu Jack, won by scores of 119-108, 117-110, and 116-111. But the big story was the cut. Jack suffered a vertical gash on his forehead in round seven from a clash of heads that... The cut was nasty from the start, and it became increasingly disgusting to look at as the fight went on. I don't need to be seeing people's frontal lobes in high definition. Uh, I was, I would, I would go ahead and use the word incensed that that they didn't stop the fight. Uh, they could have stopped it when the cut first opened up, and then I was sure they were going to stop it when ref Tony Weeks called timeout in the eleventh for the doctor to look at it. I don't know what the hell Weeks and the doctor were thinking. Did you feel the same way? Uh, so at the time, I didn't feel that level of, 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 you know, disgust or anger or whatever. Um, I, I think partly because the river of blood obscured the immensity of the gash. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I actually thought uh, Badu Jack was doing us a favor because normally it's a very expensive helicopter ride from Las Vegas to go see the Grand Canyon. And he was giving us a... <laughs> Give us a nice close-up view. I mean, so even though I wasn't outraged, I did expect it to be stopped, especially there was a point where – what round was it? Was it something like the ninth where there was so much blood and and Brown landed, I think, a good left hand, and Badu Jack just kind of stood there and kind of shook his head like a couple of times as if there was blood getting into his face or something. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, and both times, when, when Tony took him over to the corner – Badu's body language was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was, his shoulders were slumped. Like he knew it, you know, it was going to be stopped and so be it. And if it was stopped, then, you know, maybe that's the best thing. Uh, I mean, full credit to the guy for continuing to stay in there like that. I can't even imagine. But um, yeah, at that very time, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling that same kind of anger or whatever, but there was. In hindsight, after the blood cleared up a little bit and I got a really good shot look at the gash and I was like, oh, my God, how is that allowed to continue? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I I, uh, I do agree with you. Full credit for Badu Jack for staying in there. But, yeah, he uh, he lost a lot of blood that he probably didn't need to lose. Yeah, it's, it's funny you referenced the Grand Canyon because according to legend, uh, Paul Bunyan dropped his axe on Badu Jack's forehead <laughs> on Saturday night. Um he was just losing a lot of blood too, and 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 that scar could affect his career. It could affect his life. Yeah. Tony Weeks is one of the very best in the business, uh, and I was just really surprised to not see to see him not seeming overly concerned here. Yeah, it was a weird one. I wonder if it was because I mean the blood was going into his eyes, so it was, yeah. so it's. I mean, well, it was going all over it. It was going and, everywhere, and he was <laughs> hopelessly behind in the fight. There really yeah. was not a good case to let yeah. that fight keep going on. But yeah. Um, so focusing on the fight, uh, how impressed were you with Marcus Brown, a, a fighter neither of us picked to win going in? So I'm a little in two minds here. So obviously he deserves a ton of respect because he came out and he dominated Jack, which nobody has done, you know, uh, at all. Um, he had a game plan and he stuck to it and he had the confidence and he went out there and, and he, you know, he tried to take the fight to him. I didn't like how dirty he was being. In there, he was perhaps lucky to lose just the one point. Uh, he was doing a lot of not just holding Badu Jack's arm in close, but all, it was almost straying into Mike Tyson France, both the territory at times there, I thought. And he didn't need to do that because he was beating him so easily. Um, you know, so it may have been the perfect fight against the perfect opponent at the perfect time. Um, so I kind of want to see if he can 
I feel bad saying this because he did such a dominant job against a, against a guy who, like you said, both of us picked to beat him and whom nobody has, has dominated before. But I almost want to see him go and do it again against someone else. Yep. Um, but, you know, he and I feel weird saying that because he did do a great job. He was a very clear winner. Um, and he, and he deserves, he's in a strong position. He deserves what comes next. But yeah, there was just something that, yeah, there was just something I don't know about the way he was fighting or whatever that made me want to think, you know, I want to take a second look at this and, you know, see before I go a little bit over the top, but it seems weird saying that because he did such an excellent job of doing what he had to do. Yeah. I I had the exact same reaction. I mean, Jack is a slow starter, and Brown took advantage of it. Uh, he's also tall and has a good jab. So th- there's there's not much to critique here, but I'm with you that he still has a lot to prove. This was one fight, and 175 pounds is a strong division. Brown might just fit in very nicely with the, the very top guys. He was calling out calling out Gvozdik afterward. Uh, you have Alvarez, Kovalev, Bivol. He's not very proven yet, but based on what we saw against Jack... Would you be surprised if Brown emerged as the top dog right. among all those guys? I wouldn't be. Uh, he, no. he might he might be the best of them, but I need to see him in a fight where there's more coming back at him. And so I, I love yeah. the guy he's calling out. I, I, that fight, Gvozdik and Brown, I, I, that's an outstanding fight. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Uh, as for Jack, do we suspect he's washed at 35? Or was it just a tough style compounded by a horrible cut? So, I mean... I, Again, don't want to take anything away from Marcus Brown, who who made him look the way he looked. Um, but it did feel a little washed, didn't it? Um, you know, look, even when he's been at or, or close to the top, Jack has generally been an unexciting boxer. And, and as you mentioned, he's always a, a slow starter. This was way worse than that. What? And again, it's it's. I'm always hesitant to say when you when you pick one guy and then he loses. I'm always hesitant to say, oh, well, obviously he's washed rather than give a credit to his opponent who deserves right. the credit. But nonetheless, I was a bit surprised at how Jack, who's normally a pretty intelligent boxer, looked utterly clueless very early on. Like he had no idea what to do. Like he, Instead of jabbing his way into range, he was able to close range and then he'd sort of wait until he was right on top of him and throw some punches you know, inside while, while uh, uh, Brown held him. I, he just appeared to be a bit lost in there. And, and it was before the cut. He he appeared to have no real idea or plan, whereas Brown had a plan, which he was able to execute. So that was a bit strange, and that suggests more to me than just that Brown did a very good job, but also that, that Jack may very well be on a downslope here. Yeah. Uh, to steal my own bad Twitter joke, you know, I, I only steal from the worst, uh, <laughs> Badu didn't do Jack in this fight. Indeed. Um, it's one thing to start slow. It's another thing to never get going, uh, and he's had several hard 12-round fights. Now he has this yep. cut to recover from, which I imagine will keep him out a while. You know, washed is a strong word, hesitant to throw it around, but if I had to guess, I'd say he's had his last title run based on what I'm seeing here. Um, the most competitive fight on the card saw Francis Nordin Ubali beat Roche Warren by unanimous decision in that Olympic rematch. Uh, it was 115-113, 116-112, and 117-111. Two skilled and well-matched guys, but not the best meshing of styles. How did you score it, and do you want to see more of Ubali? So I thought this was horrendously difficult to score. I thought, what a difficult fight this was to score. Mm-hmm. Sitting, I was sitting next to uh, our director of podcast, Seth Nyman, and Seth said about... Four or five rounds in, you can see why Rasheed Warren has so many close split decisions. Yep, yep. Um, I had it 115-113 to Ubali. Uh, I had Warren winning quite a few of the close early rounds and Ubali really just taking it over over the second half. Um, where, you know, I, I thought that, that some of Rasheed Warren's speed and combinations early on were, were, were really good. Um, and it sort of felt to me that uh, that Ubali sort of came on and then Warren adapted and then Ubali had to find probably a bit used to just blowing people away because he's a big, strong unit for a, for a 118-pound guy um, and then had to readapt a, a little bit himself and then he did and, and it was Warren who I felt wasn't able to come up with the plan B or plan C down the end. Um, look, I enjoyed both guys. I thought this was a fun, skillful 
nip and tuck battle. Um, and for Warren, it really shows the disadvantages that no matter what weight class you are, if you don't have even a modicum of power, you're at such a disadvantage. I mean, he's got that speed. Um, he's got those nice combinations. He's got some lovely defense. But once the other guy knows you can't hurt him, that just, boy, that just that just puts you at a, in a hole to begin yeah. with there. And I, and I think that's what was a, a big deal here. Uh, I feel like, you know, we had Roy Jones on the on the podcast, so we have to bring out the toolbox. I feel almost <laughs> as if Warren has more tools in his toolbox but Ubali's a better <laughs> and mm. bigger. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what made the difference. I would like to see both guys again. I'd be really happy to see either guy. Um, it's a fight that I would sit down and watch because they're both skillful uh, and they're both good. But yeah, Ubali looks like he's uh, he's pretty powerful. Now that says, I think that Oya Inoue beats them both. Sure. Um, but I think he beats pretty much anybody. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'd watch them both. I'd watch either of them again. I, I thought it was a good, entertaining, well-fought, very skillful fight. Okay. So- sounds like maybe it was a little more entertaining uh, in person than than on TV. Uh, I wasn't quite as into it. It had its moments, okay. certainly. Um, I had it 116-112. Um, I thought one of the most fun elements of watching it was just listening in to Barry Hunter in the corner pleading oh, yeah. with Warren between rounds, um, just uh, trying all different techniques of, of trying to shame him into doing oh, yeah. something more, doing something different, but uh, it wasn't working. Although, you know, he was certainly in the fight. He wasn't getting blown out based on our scorecards and the official scorecards, but he just couldn't quite get over the hump, especially uh, in the in the second half of the fight. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these are two skilled southpaws. Uh, I'm, I'm up for watching them both again. I definitely give Ubali another look. There's a whole... World Boxing Super Series going on at Bantamweight yep. right now. I'd like to see him in against uh, just about anybody from that tournament uh, after it's over. Um, and in the opening bout Saturday night, and we won't spend uh, much time at all on this, uh, Hugo Ruiz beat late sub Alberto Guevara 100-89 to and 99-90 to twice. Ruiz scored a knockdown in the first minute. Uh, I wish he'd just scored another one and finished Guevara <laughs> off because it was not a very fun fight after that. Uh, in retrospect, Kieran, would fans have been better off uh, if there hadn't been a backup uh, for Jack Tapora available? Yeah, I mean, I understand it, right? I mean, you have to, you know, you've prom- you promised fans a four-fight card. Um, you kind of have to deliver a four-fight card. You know what would actually have been, in hindsight, the ideal situation, and obviously I know it's more difficult to, to make this actually happen, contractually and all of this, the last non-televised fight, was a cracker. Oh yeah, uh, an eight-round welterweight fight. Uh, Jr. Inson from the Philippines, who was the favorite. He was eighteen and one, coming in uh, against uh, Jonathan Steele, who was just eight two and one from Dallas, Texas. And Steele dropped Inson in the first round. Um, the two guys were throwing hell for leather. It wasn't necessarily the most skillful fight, but these were two guys who really, absolutely laid it on the line. And the judges did the right thing. They gave they gave the the underdog. They gave the B-side the victory on points. Uh, had that been the opener, it might have set an entirely different tone yeah. uh, for, for the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate for Ruiz. I thought Ruiz did fine. It's hard for him, obviously, to adapt to a brand new opponent at the last minute. And obviously, you know, even if they, Guevara was sitting there in the bullpen, that's a whole different deal. It, it kind of felt like he got an unexpected payday and was happy with that. Uh yeah, in hindsight, I wish we'd had a Steel versus Inson as the opener, but it it is what it is. All right, well, here on the podcast, at least we get to share some insights uh, from someone who was there in person and saw the whole undercard with uh, with the folks at home who only saw what uh, what was on TV. So that's that's interesting. But um, yeah, you know, certainly knowing how the whole night played out and how late everything went uh, in combination with how the last nine rounds of this fight went. Uh, if this was pro wrestling and we could script it out, I think, <laughs> I think a first round knockout is how we would have booked this one. Right. And of course the ideal solution with the ideal scenario when the lights went out is we would suddenly start hearing bong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except it's not the undertaker coming in. It's Tyson Fury. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. See, boy, we, we need to be paid more to be bookers here. Because... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, All right, before we move on to other goings-on in the boxing world, we should quickly update our scores in the picks competition. Uh, Prize, still TBD. Um, 
uh, you know, you, you mentioned that Lady Gaga show earlier. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, tickets to Lady Gaga's Las Vegas show. That's something to consider. Uh, Showtime overlords. Uh, see what you guys can figure out, um, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah, as long as one of us isn't buying those tickets for the other one. As long as... <laughs> right, yes. Exa- oh, very important. As long as Steven Espinosa is chipping in. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, now, uh, we might be shooting a little high. I, I could see the prize being a, a $10 Amazon gift card or something. But the important thing is that we're playing for something. It's all about having motivation. Right. Um, but anyway, it was 3-3 three to three coming in. We both got the max three points for Pacquiao Broner. We both got zero points for Brown against Jack. And the difference maker was Ubali against Warren, I got two points for Ubali by the wrong kind of decision. I guessed majority, but it was unanimous. Uh, and you got zero for picking Warren. So the score is eight to six, Raskin. Uh, but certainly anybody's game here. It is only mid-January after all. Yep, yep, indeed. All right, uh, there was a lot going on in the world of boxing uh, this weekend, uh, as well as everything that was happening uh, at the MGM Grand. And uh, we're going to have a little tour around some of that and talk about some of those uh, some interesting upsets. Um, beginning, I think probably the biggest one of all, um, Pablo Cesar Cano shocking Jorge Linares in one round, dropping him three times uh, and finishing him off uh, at 140 pounds. Is this the end uh, for Jorge Linares? Uh as awful as that was for Linares, he has bounced back from awful results before. Right. <clears throat> um, he has five losses all by stoppage, three of them now uh, in the first two rounds. Yeah, He's always in that kind of danger, but I have to believe the skills are still there. He's 33. Uh, he should probably fight at 135, not 140, which he said as much after the fight. Um I don't think we've seen the last of him in meaningful fights, as awful as this result was. Uh, and, and good win for Kano, by the way. Uh, the definition of a dangerous veteran spoiler, he's always been a tough out, so good for him. Yeah, I agreed. Um, with, that was my prime thing, is that we've seen this with, with Linares before, and we've written him off completely before. Mm-hmm. Um, after I think after the Sergio Thompson loss, yeah. it, was, it seemed like it, it was all over, which was very similar to this. Obviously, there's more miles on the odometer now, but yeah, he was, you know probably moved up too much in weight. We've always known that there's this possibility with Jorge Linares. Uh, yeah, and I think he deserves the opportunity to show that there's more there, and, and I think he probably will. Um, uh, what else? Let me see. Well, this was an interesting one. Demetrius Andrade stopping Artur Akakov with 24 seconds left in the 12th round of their contest. Uh, Arthur McCanty just stepping in and waving the bow off. I know how you feel about referees <laughs> who stop fights. Yeah. I can't believe you're cool with this. No, no, I am not. Uh, I, I agreed with what Sergio Mora was saying on the call here. You're that close to the end. The guy isn't that hurt. It obviously meant a lot for Akavov to hear the final bell and not get his first knockout loss on his record. So, you know, solid performance uh, for Andrade. But I did not agree at all with the stoppage. Uh, it was correctly guessed. really, really weird. Yeah. Um, and what's so weird is that it came from Arthur McCanty. I mean, McCanty will generally make you fight if your head's falling off. Um, yeah, he usually does go that direction. Um, I've seen him occasionally swing swing too far in the other direction. He, okay. Um, but you're right that he's his reputation is more letting a fight go longer than he should. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll always remember when uh, Yuri Foreman's corner yep. threw in the towel against Miguel Cotto when he kicked it out. He says, "You're not going out like that, Jam." Right, right. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, on ESPN Plus, uh, Oscar Rivas upsetting Bryant Jennings in round twelve of heavyweight action. Uh, so is Rivas now a new heavyweight to watch on the scene? Any heavyweight who can finish like that and punch like yeah. that is worth watching. Um, I didn't get to watch this whole fight. Just saw bits and pieces. And, of course, I saw the final round. Um, word uh, on Twitter was that it wasn't thrilling most of the way. Um, but it certainly did get exciting at the end. Uh, so, yeah, let, let's see Rivas in with another fringe contender and see what yep. happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it was that Jennings kind of ran out of gas at the end there, but it was because Rivas made him run out of gas, even though I think Jennings was probably up on all the cards. Uh, a lot of Rivas, clearly a, a good pressure fighter, so definitely someone to watch. Um, this Saturday on zone, Jaime Munguia against Takeshi Inoue. Is this a fight you're carving out some time for? I think so, um, just because, you know, we watched closely as Munguia rose yep. to some prominence on HBO last year, and he's an exciting, promising young fighter. 
I want to keep tracking him, uh, and and it figures not to be dull. I don't know much about his opponent. Uh, couldn't even tell based on trying to do some internet research whether he's related to Naoya Inoue. Um, but just on the basis of my interest in Jaime Munguia, yeah, I'll, I'll carve out time for at least the main event of this card. You you as yeah. well. Absolutely, and for the exact same reason, you know, uh, ringside and watching that the Mungia train pull out of the station and set off down the tracks, and and I'm really keen to find out what his ceiling is and how far he can go. He is a fun but flawed fighter, I think, and uh, I don't think he'll ever be in a dull fight. So uh, definitely, for that for that very reason, I, I'll, I'll be watching that. Um, but there's a arguably bigger fight uh, next weekend. Um, we've talked about him already, Keith Thurman taking on Josecito Lopez on Fox. Uh, so what do you think about that in terms of a level of opposition for Thurman's return? He's been out quite some time. He has. It's been almost two years that he's been off. I think 22 months uh, by the time he steps in the ring. So this is fine for a first fight back after that kind of layoff. Lopez is just right. You know, a name we've all heard of. He's competent, but not too competent. Uh, this is good matchmaking for Thurman. What I don't like is Thurman saying 2019 is going to be a year of tune-ups and shaking off of rust for him. Uh, Now, you you get one tune-up. Maybe you can do like Tyson Fury did and have a second tune-up as long as they're in rapid succession, Uh, like if Thurman's back in the ring in March for another get-well fight. There's no reason he shouldn't be mixing with the best in the welterweight division by late spring, early summer. He's 30 years old, no time to waste, and there are so many big fights to be made at 147. So live up to your nickname, Keith. When it, when it comes to tune-ups, be Keith one-time Thurman. Yeah, Tyson Fury really has uh, reminded folks of, of what can be done, hasn't he? Yes. Just a, an, an awful <laughs> opponent to start off with, a slightly better one, and then Deontay Wilder. I mean, good Lord, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, uh, that will do it uh, for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will be back next week when, among other things, we will preview the February 1st Showbox card from Rochester, New York, headlined by Ronald Ellis against DeAndre Ware. For now... From Eric safely at home in the East Coast (laughs) and me here still in Las Vegas. That'll do it for this week. Thank you very much for listening.